Everybody, how are we doing? Good. Some of y'all are good. Some of y'all are. It's eleven o'clock. We should be awake by now. Um, it's great to uh, to be here. I do want to begin, and I want to thank Carson uh, for opening up the can uh, on this series last week, and also up in the dress code a little bit. Did y'all notice how good he looked last week. Um, I, I do want to take a minute um, to acknowledge. Uh, you know, Carson, and, and part of what I, I want to take a moment is just explain, like philosophically, we, we don't um, see when, when Carson is here on Sunday or Jeff or Laurel and anybody here on a Sunday, Clay, um, we don't see this as someone filling in for me. Um, we, we see this as part of exercising, expressing the voice uh, of our church for and towards our congregation, for, for one another. And uh, so we sit down and wrestle this out, you know, um, wasn't like, oh, Mike's going to be gone this week speaking here. Um, so Carson will fill in for him. We really looked at this holistically as we were preparing for uh, this, this series of, um, you know, in the spring uh, or winter teaching and into the spring into Easter and considered. And I, we felt like um, it would be a great t- chance for me to be with our high school students um, and to be with them for the weekend. And that as part of that, that it would be great for Carson to be here. And then we make our plans accordingly because that's, that's what we believe about the voice of our church. And so I'm very grateful uh, to him for what he brought. I got to watch uh, online coming home uh, from uh, Camp Willow Springs, I think it's the name of it, Willow Run, Willow Springs, uh, with a bunch of high school students. Any of you guys here? Yay! Uh, my whole goal, I told them, my whole goal was to just be cool, like to be seen as cool for the whole weekend. I think I did okay. Uh, and I loved being there. I had left with great hope. I love the way you guys are thinking about things, the questions, the conversations. Um, you know, our student ministry staff and volunteers were just absolutely unbelievable uh, and are unbelievable what they do and offer our student leaders uh, to what they offer to one another. And I just left there very encouraged. And I got to ride back in the van and kind of watch what was happening uh, in the room here. And it was just really, really encouraging um, weekend and Carson went through the whole entire chapter of Matthew 16. I'm just going to, to take a, a smidgen of that um, today. Uh, Matthew 16, 21 through 27 is where we're going to look today. Um, part of what uh, I'm doing this, this past week also uh, was the beginning of, of Lent. And I'm, as you can tell, I'm not really a high church guy. Uh, I've never really honored the church calendar and any of that. And this year we've tried to say, hey, we're, we want to like pay attention to this. Not not because we wanna like be high church or try to exercise a lot of traditions, but we wanna be mindful because we're gonna use our time. We're gonna to default to using our time to be more productive, to manage our time, to be more efficient. And we wanted to say, let's look at our time to enter into the story of God and the way of Jesus, what He's doing in our world. And so we're using this starting from Advent and Epiphany. And this past week was um, uh, Ash Wednesday starts the Lenten season. And so we had a prayer time in here. It was absolutely beautiful. I came in, we all, you know, many of you did. It was, a, it was a great response. But to come in and to spend some time praying and I've committed myself to enter into this, um, this season of Lent. Um, to really consider uh, my own uh, sort of mortality, to consider my own uh, propensity towards sin, to consider confession, repentance, and most of all, to consider the cross. To really think about and meditate on the cross and just consider the cross because what I, I grew up in the church, right? And the cross was a means to an end. You get through the cross and you get to the resurrection. And I'm looking forward to the resurrection. I've got a, I'm excited about Easter, what we're doing this year. We're gonna talk about it on Easter. So we're gonna talk about the resurrection on Easter, probably perhaps differently than you've thought about it before. But to get there, you've got to embrace the cross. So I'm just spending this season uh, holding on and meditating on and thinking about the cross. It is foolishness 
to the world, but it is, it is life-saving to those who are being saved. That's Paul's words. So I want for us, I'm gonna inflict some of that um, on you guys uh, as a part of this. And what this has helped me see is not the tragedy of the cross, but the beauty of it. The, the, the thing that moves us to give ourselves. And that's how we're gonna focus on this. One other thing by way of uh, sort of setting where, where I'm going is, um, you know, I've, I have long studied leadership. I enjoy leadership. Um, you know, I, I feel like that uh, part of the skills required to do what I'm responsible for here requires some measure of leadership, right? You have to have vision. You have to, you know, empower people. All those things are a part of it. I love reading about leadership. I love studying leadership. I love talking about leadership. But part of what I've learned is particularly over the last 10 years is the most important thing, the most important tr- uh, attribute of being a good leader is you have to learn how to be a good follower. And you have to learn how to do this in all sorts of ways. When I go to weddings, right, I, you know, I'll, I'll be with a wedding director and they usually kind of defer to me like, oh, Mike, you know, you can just tell me, I said, no, 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 you're, you're in charge. I'm a, I'm a good follower. I will stand where you tell me to stand. I will pray when you tell me to pray. I'm a, I'm a good follower. And I try to, to live like this when I do and participate with other events. Um, this past weekend, our student, that was led by our team. I'm a good follower. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what you're asking of me. I'm gonna contribute to your leadership in this. And the reason this is important is not just because it helps you to, to be easy to get along with, right? But it's what Jesus requires of us. When he invited us into relationship with him, it doesn't say, hey, come and you'll be a leader in God's kingdom. He invites us to come and be a follower of him, to learn how to follow. And so that's what I wanna talk about. What does it mean to follow? What is the way of being a follower of Jesus? And we, we struggle, I struggle with this. I'm, I'm gonna assume you do, and you probably will by the time we're, we're done. But you're gonna, you struggle with, we struggle with this because we live in a world where the default philosophy is to get as much as you can for as little as possible. I mean, that isn't that it? We wanna figure out how we can get the biggest house for the least amount of money, the best things we, you know, and return on investment. It's always how can I get the most possible out of something by putting the least possible into it. This is goes into like school, right? What would I need to have to have a C on the test, right? What do I need to get? Like these kind of questions we ask because we wanna, we wanna get as much as we possibly can and give as least a, a, a amount as possible. And this just runs flat contrary to what Jesus says and he shows us how different our view is. And this is Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. And we'll pick up there. And this is Jesus is uh, explaining some things Said this whole series of, of events with the Pharisees. Carson talked about that last week. And it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So Jesus is telling his disciples what? And things are about to get hard. He's going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. And then he adds this, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised again. All right, is that unclear to anybody? What did Jesus say was gonna happen to him? He's gonna go in, he's gonna suffer. He's gonna be what? Killed. And then what's gonna happen? He's gonna be raised again on the third day. Crystal clear. Do you realize what happened? And this is getting ahead of myself, but do you realize what happened on Easter Sunday? They all heard this and none of them recognized him. Why? Because it, it, as clear as he was, they just could not believe it. And when you don't believe it, you don't see it. And y'all, that happens to us. This is why what we're talking about today is so important. Peter takes him aside after he says this, this is a terrible idea. 
If you're leading a movement, dying is a terrible strategy. That's what he says to him. This is a bad idea. It says he rebukes him. And then Jesus turns to him, right? He says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. I think Peter thought this escalated quickly, right? <laughs> I'm just trying to give you a little bit of advice. And you're like calling me like the enemy. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have concern, in your mind concerns uh, of God, but rather merely human concerns. We read past this very quickly. This is actually the second time that Jesus will be tempted to try and fulfill his call without the sacrifice, to get as much as possible for as little as possible. You remember he was in the wilderness and this Satan tempts him. Hey, turn this stone into bread. Hey, take it up to the top of the temple, throw yourself down. Hey, look at the whole world. All this can be yours. All of this. All of this can be yours. Just give me what I want and no one gets hurt. From vertigo, you too. God, nobody gets this. That's what the song is about. It's this flip. But he offers in the kingdom. He says, you can have all of this without the sacrifice. And so what, what is Peter saying? Jesus, I think there's a better way. You can have all of this without the cross. And you would see this again in the garden. When Jesus is sitting down, kneeling down in Gethsemane, and he says, if there's any other way, could we have the call without the cross? But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. This is a familiar thing to all humans because we all have at our base human concerns. And God is trying to get us on board. He's trying to invite us in to see something different. Then he turns to all of us. So he has this exchange with Peter. Then he turns to his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses or and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it, will discover it, will see it unfold. I think we overlook this very easily, but we, we don't think about saving ourselves very often. But what, what do we do to save ourselves? What do you do to save yourself? What do I do to save myself? What are we saving ourselves from? I think often we're saving ourselves from the things that we fear, the things that we don't wanna happen. The fear of being disappointed, the fear of missing out, the fear of being hurt, the fear of missing our purpose, the fear of missing an opportunity, the fear of squandering something. And so saving ourselves is our attempts to preserve our way at the expense of everything. And we do this all the time. We don't wanna risk our autonomy or our independence or our sense of control. We don't wanna have to trust anyone else for anything. And we sort of deny the fact that we are really doing that. That was the essence of Carson's message last week. And what happens in our culture, I think this is pretty telling, but we see this idea, we live in this, this way that says, if you deny yourself anything, or if anybody denies you anything that you have the right to, it's like, it is like morally reprehensible. It's like psychologically damaging, right? It feels like evil. If, if, if you have the access to something and you don't get it, you don't take it, it feels like you're doing something wrong. The value in our culture, the highest, one of the highest values has become the value of self-care. And so we're constantly trying to figure out how do we ensure that we are cared for by ourselves. 
And let me, please let me make a disclaimer. I am not suggesting for a moment that you just neglect yourself, nor that you just continue on in, you know, unhealthy relationships or just give yourself flippantly things. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus is actually talking about the opposite of that. I'm just saying that we live in a culture, the natural trajectory, the natural inclination is for you to try and to save yourself. And if you save yourself, Jesus says, you're gonna lose. That's what's gonna happen. You're gonna lose yourself. You're not gonna find what you're looking for. And two things I think specifically have happened. Number one is we sort of resist commitment because we refuse to deny ourselves. We resist committing to things. I mean, this is how we make plans, right? I, I remember some of us with my kids when they were like younger, we had landlines and like, we didn't have call waiting at my house. Some of you have no idea what this is. You had a landline where you had to stand next to the wall. In fact, if someone called your house, your parents would answer the phone and you had to like talk to your, their parents and say, is Mike there? Mike, that's just say, Michael Wayne. I'm like, don't tell about my middle name, right? That's what happened. And you get on the phone and they're like, and my parent, we didn't have call waiting, which was one line. If you called while someone else was on the line, it just went beep, beep, beep. It was a busy. So if you have no idea, this was a reality. And, and if you didn't have call waiting, if you didn't know what you were doing Friday by the time you left school, you weren't doing anything because there was no way to get up with you. And so you had to plan and you had to commit we're all gonna be, this sounds like I'm old and I'm like complaining about the next generation. I'm not, this would happen to all of us. But what happens now is like, because the speed of communication, it, it creates a real hesitancy to commit to anything. Why? Because you might be 10 minutes from going here and so better opportunity goes and you can go there. And you don't, you don't wanna rule anything out because you're trying to make sure, you're trying to ensure, right, that you get what you're looking for. And so we don't commit to anything. Um, we don't commit to relationships. We don't commit to careers. We don't commit to organizations. And I'm not saying that we should, I'm just saying we don't. We don't commit to sports teams, right? I grew up with the, the analogy that there is no I in team, but there is I in NIL, right? It's like this whole thing that begins to happen. And we're all trying to build our brands and protect and ensure that nothing happens to them. And we, we, we resist committing. And the second part is we resist sacrifice because we're always trying to figure out how to get the most amount for the littlest amount required. And so sacrifice just goes by the wayside. And what I wanna say, I wanna say this as clearly as I can. You will not have a life that you long for apart from commitment and sacrifice. It is not gonna happen. Anything worth having or pursuing is gonna require something from you and more it's gonna require something of you. Right, to be married, to date well, requires sacrifice, it requires commitment. To employ well, requires sacrifice and commitment. To be employed well, requires, notice I said well, requires sacrifice and commitment. To, to pursue education requires sacrifice, commitment. To pursue a career that means something, regardless of what profession you're in requires sacrifice and commitment, right? All these things, we, we know this to be true, but yet we keep kind of erasing ourselves out till we try to hold on to ourselves. And in doing so, we sort of create this, this model or this sense, this default posture of self-preservation. I don't want anything to happen to me and the life that I'm trying to create. And we try to save ourselves. And sort of the next 
logical iteration is when you, when you are your own sort of um, a sense of care and, and preservation, you don't need anything, which immediately chokes you off from grace. We deny grace because we don't need anything. And the trajectory, this, we're gonna talk more about this, the trajectory is to just, once you sort of learn that you have to protect and to hold, you're gonna to start to demand. And this just leads us to this sort of sense of self-indulgence, depending on what kind of opportunities you have in front of you is how much you can indulge yourself. And the thing is now, because we have phones and devices that can lead us into a virtual world, there's virtually no limit on how much we can indulge in whatever we choose to at any given time. And this is the pattern. So Jesus is sort of warring against this. He's warring against this. And then what he says specifically, he says in Matthew 6, 24, he says, we are to deny ourselves or we are to, if we wanna be his disciple, if we wanna follow, if we wanna be a student of his, we are to deny ourselves. And what this, this is a posture where we, where, we, where we say, Lord, not my will, but yours. This is a posture where we entrust ourselves to him. And maybe the question would be, what is it that you are afraid of? What is it you're afraid of? Like, what are you, what are you holding onto is actually the question. What are you holding onto? What do you, what do you not want to let go of? The second is the idea of taking up our cross, to take up our cross. And this is the idea of what is it that you're afraid of? What are you afraid of losing, right? If you were to really follow Jesus. And then the third is to follow him. It's a lifelong commitment that doesn't require you to commit for your lifetime. It requires you to be faithful in a moment to follow him as he leads, where he leads, when he leads. Momentary, daily, all this kind of stuff. And so I remember kind of growing up in this uh, and I was, I, was, I was terrified to be honest because my youth minister's favorite verse was this one. So I'm a high school student, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And I'm like, deny myself, I don't mind, right? I get it because I'm kind of a punk sometimes and I want terrible things. So I can get that. Following him, I like that idea as well because it feels like what I wanna do. But taking up my cross, I've read the book. I know what the cross is. I'm not sure I want any part of it. You ever felt like that? Just me? So I try to think about this and just sort of break down what, what is the cross? Like what is it to take up your cross? Right, to take up your cross is a kind of suffering. And so I look at this, I try to look at this and write this down. And say, it's a kind of suffering. And we all know, you know, it's, it's, I, 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 um, I've been fortunate to go to Europe a couple of times and I've been through a lot of the cathedrals and the museums and the art and the sculptures of these um, ancient artists, right? Depicting, there's so much art and sculpture around Jesus and His Life and, and I remember uh, we were in uh, Montenegro last year and there is, we're in this, this cathedral from the 1100s, from the 1100s. And there's a, a crucifix that had been uh, carved out of wood and it was somewhat decayed. And this is in a place where they don't really worry about, they don't have glass or it's just right there. You can like play with it, touch it, whatever you wanna do, I guess you wanted to. But it's right, and I'm looking at this and I'm trying to figure out why is it that I wanna look at this and not look at this at the same time? And it's just discombobulating the cross and Jesus on it. I don't mind the gold cross. I don't like the one with Jesus on it. Some of you I know you grew up in traditions where that's like the thing, but this all came out of these movements and you have to stare at this and, and consider the cross. And when they do this in these artists, artistic ways, what you begin to find is there's actually a beauty there. 
And you gotta sort of try to figure out what, what is that, to take up your cross. It's a kind of suffering to be sure, but it's also a sacrifice. So what I tried to do in my own sort of wrestling this as a high school, college student, and even later on, is I'm like, okay, the suffering part is Jesus on the cross, the blood, the gore, the crown of thorns, that's part one. The sacrifice, there's almost like options. To take out my cross had these three options. The second one was it's a sacrifice. Like I mean in the theological sense. Like I've read the Old Testament, it's a sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. He died for me, perfect. That's what the cross is, I'm good to go. And then I also began to think about it as possibly a vocation or a calling. That when Jesus was called to the cross, it was His particular calling to take up His cross. And that my particular calling was to take up my cross and it was a career in architecture. Do you feel feel me? And what am I trying to do? I'm trying to minimize all of this. I'm trying to make it not as jarring. I don't want it to be that thing that I look at, but don't wanna look at. I wanna look at it and it be what I want it to be. And so it's very, and this is exactly why Jesus spoke of it this way. And, and here's the thing I wanna make, make sure you understand that to, the drift of our lives is toward comfort, to avoid pain, it's toward convenience, right? This is normal, that, that, that's un, it's not wrong, it's normal. What Jesus is suggesting of us is not normal. That's what I'm trying to get at. And so I remember in high school and college wrestling this going, okay, to take out my cross, right, at some point, is going to be, and what I was trying to do all through this, I I felt like God was leading me or calling me. I had a hunch, whatever phrase you wanna give it, to like be in the ministry, but I wanted to be an architect and I did not want to work for a church and I did not want to be in ministry as a vocation. Those were two criteria that I had for God. I do not want this. And when I finally came to it, I felt like that taking up my cross was like to lay down this career in architecture and to pick up this cross of ministry. And I was a youth minister for a few years and then we started Port City and the, the, the bar, when we started Port City, there was like, it was hand to mouth, there was nothing, it was nothing. And I remember thinking if I can get through the first three years and not die, that will be success. And I did it, like, okay, so it feels like a death, right? It feels like a death. But then what you think is, I've done this. I denied myself. I took up my cross and now I get to go on with the life of following Him. That's what it feels like, right? Like check, 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 I did it. And then Luke, right, records this. This, this verse is recorded in three of the four gospels. And Luke says it like this, see if you notice anything about this. Then he said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses. Uh-oh, right, Luke was a physician, right? This is like the doctor's order. Every day you need to do this thing to take up your cross daily and follow Him. And so we have to consider some things. We have to wrestle some things. What does it mean to take up your cross, right? And again, this is some because I've been meditating and reflecting on the cross. I'm trying to prepare myself in this Lenten season for for Easter, for the resurrection. I just wanna stay fixed on the cross. You're right, Paul said, I I boast in the cross. I I wanna try to hold on to that. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 15 and 16, Paul writes this, that his purpose, God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. So there's this division between the Jewish people and everybody else, that's that's the, the two divisions. And he says in one body, in the body of Jesus Christ, to reconcile both of them, how? Through the cross, you can say it out loud, 
through the cross. God's intention to, to undo the separation was through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. We often think of the cross as like, let's get through the cross so we can get onto the resurrection because that's what we like. We like to be alive. We don't like to die. And the language of the scriptures is death, right? It's death. You can't just deny yourself. If you deny yourself, you're, you're gonna get resentful because you're gonna deny, you're gonna, I did the right thing and these people aren't and they're all getting away with it. Or you're gonna get self-righteous, right? You gotta deny yourself. It's not enough, you gotta take up your cross. You can't just wake up and say, Lord, I surrender to you. I lay these things down. You gotta pick something up and carry it with you and let it frame your, the way in which you live. And he says it like this in Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. The cross, his death was what? From this verse, a demonstration of God's love. Valentine's Day, I brought Julie flowers. This is a demonstration of my love for you. When God demonstrated his love for us, he goes to the cross and he dies. And we need, to under, we need to grab a hold of this. I remember one of the most profound things that I've learned in the last few years is reading this is a quote from Brian Zahn. And he says, the cross is not a defeat that is overturned by the resurrection. God didn't lose on the cross and then win on the resurrection. He says, the cross is a victory revealed by the resurrection. That's a different way. We're told to take up our cross because that's where the victory is. That's where the life is. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is what he's driving at. He says, so God demonstrates his love for us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were, God, we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, will be saved through this life? Right, the cross is a demonstration of God's love and it is the reconciliation of the world. That's actually from 2 Corinthians 5, on the cross, God was reconciling the world to himself. To take up your cross is to be invited into that kind of posture. And this is what begins to help me to see this. Yes, it is a call. It's a vocation. It's what God is asking me to give my life to. But out of that, what you begin to realize when he calls you into something, it becomes very quickly a way in which you have to give up things. To live and to follow Jesus requires you to give of yourself. It requires time. It requires money. It requires inconvenience, right? To deal with issues in people, people, hard, difficult people, people, right? You have to, it requires something from you. And you think that you're doing good when you learn to put up with people and tolerate people. And then you recognize that there's a whole nother way to this, that you, when we take up our cross, me, when we take up our cross, we're taking up the call to be a demonstration of God's love, others-oriented, self-sacrificing love. And we're getting a vision for the reconciliation of all things. A reconciliation of all things. I mean, I talk a lot about navigating this world faithfully and full of chaos. 
I wanna say this as clearly as I can. You will not navigate the chaos, sorry, navigate the chaos faithfully and full of hope. Did I say navigate with chaos? Navigate the chaos faithfully and full of hope. You will not navigate the chaos without taking up your cross. It won't happen. Think about your alternatives. The chaos isn't going away. And what you're gonna end up doing is either obliterating or marginalizing or neutralizing anyone who creates chaos. And if you can't do it for the world, you'll just do it for your world. I'll just push these people aside. I'll stop listening to them. I'll stop buying their products. I'll stop doing that. And you just marginalize or try to neutralize them as best as you can so their chaos doesn't bother you. Or you build insulated borders around where you live to protect yourself from the chaos that affects other people. And you learn very quickly, particularly the more access you have to wealth, the easier it is to isolate and insulate yourself from the problems that other people face. And so to take up our call, right, is to recognize that we bring, we bear, and we are to be a demonstration of God's love, His self-sacrificing others-oriented love, and we are to bring and to work towards the reconciliation of all things, which means you have to care about things that you ordinarily might not have to care about. And I'll tell you, this, is, this has been my experience. I, I wanted so long ago to just sort of stop and go, hey, I've got it. But you keep pursuing and you keep taking up your cross and you keep pursuing. You find your heart broken for the things that break God's heart. And to think that you're gonna care about the issues of this world without shedding tears and blood and sweat, you are kidding yourselves. But, but it's gotta be people who are willing to do this. And the reason you do this is because of the beauty of the gospel that we live, we take up the beautiful demonstration of God's love and we live with a vision for the reconciliation of all things. This has probably moved me more than anything else in the last five or six or seven years is to think that the gospel is about me. You know, I've gotten weepy uh, as I've gotten older, I think because I have a grandbaby now and I get to watch my kids parent, I got another daughter getting married and, I'll just, and I just get really, really, really weepy about things. Um, but also have learned to have my heart broken for things that I wouldn't likely care about otherwise. To enter into those places, to enter in with those folks, to enter in with people, right? Compassion literally means to suffer with, it's to enter into that, right? To take up our cross, to do this is going to require something from you and that something is likely to be painful. That's what Jesus was preparing us for. You know, I, I always say, I, I wish I was a prosperity preacher because it would be a lot more fun and I'd have a light, lot better lifestyle. <clears throat> I wish I could tell you that Jesus wants you to be healthy, wealthy and wise, but there's cancer there's divorce and there's abuse and there's marginalization and there's oppression and there's all these things. And to think that the world is gonna fix it is foolish. It's, 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 it's God himself through his people to bring a demonstration of his love, his others oriented self-sacrificing love and to live with the reality that we bring the hope of the reconciliation of all things. Like that's what gets me up in the morning. I wake him go, God is re reconciling this world. 
And I get to contribute to that, right? This isn't the gospel about, this is what happens when you go to, how to get into heaven when you die, right? This is much different than that. And the reason is because this is what Jesus actually said. It's what he actually said. So part of my, my re, aren't you glad he came to church today? Part of my reading, I'm, I'm reading, someone gave me a book about a year ago, maybe uh, not quite that long ago. Um, it's The Prayers of the Martyrs. Fun reading. Because you got to enter in. And so part of this, the Meditation of the Cross, I've been reading different stories and I came across this one. This is about a guy, his name is Franz Jägenstetter. And he's an Austrian farmer. He was a martyr in the 1940s. And if you don't know the history of Austria in that area, um, uh, Franz Jägenstetter was a um, kind of a, a hooligan, for lack of better terms. He was a motorcycle ride and he kind of created a lot of trouble. He found Christ and began to immerse himself in the scriptures and, and learning how to walk in the way of Jesus. He took this aspect seriously to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And so his life became radically different, serving and giving. And then um, as uh, the Nazis were moving in that direction, they, um, they annexed Austria and they required everyone in his village. His village was located on the border. They required everyone in his village to join the Nazi army and to fight with Hitler. And he refused. And he refused because he did not, he thought that what Hitler was doing was not consistent with the way of Jesus, even though most people thought it was consistent with some kind of Christianity that would conquer the world. And he refuses. And so they arrest him. Even his priests would come to him and say, hey, Romans 13, submit to your governing authorities and you have a duty and all these things. And he refused. And they would offer him every time, if you refuse, we'll let you out of jail. If you refuse, we'll let you, I mean, if you join the army, we'll let you out of jail. We'll, we'll let you out of jail. And he refused and he refused until um, on uh, August the 9th, 1943, uh, he was beheaded. And he lost his life. And his last words were said to be, I am completely bound in inner union with the vision, or I'm sorry, uh, I'm completely bound in inner union with the Lord. And what we need, you and I need, is a vision of God's love and his character and his rightness. We talked about this. That is worthy of the sacrifice required to live this out. We need a vision for that. His story was long forgotten um, for years and years until the 1990s. Uh, his story began to gain some traction, did some research, found his story to be uh, really compelling. I was actually made into a movie, but before that um, they commuted his death sentence, which I suppose is good news. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but um, in this movie, uh, Franz is in a church, one of these old cathedrals with his um, friend who's a painter and he's painting these portraits of the suffering Christ, Christ on a cross. And they're having this conversation, thinking about the condition of the world in which they live and how difficult it is and how things are pressing in. And here's this cross and Christ. And his friend remarks, I paint all this suffering, but I don't suffer myself. In fact, I make a living off of it. And then he muses and he says, what we do is we create admirers, but not followers. We don't see Christ's life as a demand. And in fact, we don't want to be reminded of it. So I paint a comfortable Christ. I paint Christ with halos. How can I show what I haven't lived? Someday I might have the courage to venture, but not yet. 
as they were watching this movie, people realized and recognized this was almost a quote from the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. And he writes this, what then is the difference between an admirer and a follower? A follower is or strives to be what he admires. An admirer, admirer, however, keeps himself personally detached. He fails to see that what is admired involves a claim upon him and thus fails to be or to strive to be what he admires. Then he adds this line, as such, they refuse to accept that Christ's life is a demand. We were talking about this with the students this past week. You go to camp and you hear all this stuff, and you're like, I'm gonna promise to do better. You don't work your way into this. You worship your way into this. To be so moved and compelled by the love of Christ that you would be willing to make your life available to be a demonstration of God's love, his others-oriented, self-sacrificing love, and to bring the hope of the reconciliation of all things, of all things. And to be willing to give your life for that. To deny yourself is to entrust yourself to him. Right? To take up your cross is to embrace his heart for the world. And then to follow him is just being willing to give yourself for that. We're not likely to be martyrs in the United States of America in the next little bit could, but probably not. I know a lot of people think that you're persecuted, right? When people post something online and someone says mean things back, say, I'm just being persecuted. Well, that's not being persecuted, that's being foolish, right? There's a difference. And I, and I, I want you to hear this. I, I spent most of my early years terrified that God was gonna disappoint me. I can show you journal entries from high school and college. I memorized Romans 10, 11. I memorized 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 1, chapter two, right? There is no eye that has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I was like, God, you, this better be true. Romans 10, 11, whoever believes in me will not be disappointed. I held on to those things because I was afraid. And if I took up my, if I denied myself, took up my cross, if I didn't save myself, I was gonna be done. And I don't wanna sit here and pretend like I have taken up my cross and I have denied, I don't wanna pretend like that. But I can tell you in the, in the places where I have, I, I'm, I'm trying and I'm learning to do this. The life that I quote lost is nothing compared to this sense of life that I'm beginning to find. And what I can tell you without reservations that I have found him to be faithful. And I wanna remind you of the promise. What's the promise? That whoever loses their life for his sake will do what? Will find it. It's a risk. It's a risk. You can try and hold on and preserve or you can entrust yourself to him and his way. And I believe that you will find him to be unbelievably faithful. And you'll find the life that you were looking for all along.
That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Father, would you um, be gracious to us in this? Um, The longer we live, the more that we have, the more we think we have to lose. And so the more tempted we are to hold on. I think you understand that perfectly. Um, But you still tell us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow. Father, the world is desperate for a love that cares and gives and sacrifices and for a hope that things could be not just better, but whole. You've given us that vision. So I ask you, Father, um, to prepare us, to help us, to empower us, to give our lives for it. And I ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who is our king. Amen.